This evening I, I plan to be um, briefer because I know that you're all needing to go home and go to bed um, <laughs> since you lost so much sleep last night and some of you are exhausted from all the dancing that you've been doing in the streets. So um, we will we'll, uh, be sure and try to quit early. <clears throat> um, Guys, I, I got to take a couple of few minutes to introduce things. We are ready to move to Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> Let's close with prayer. <clears throat> we have wicked among us. <laughs> but let me, let, me, um, let me read you how Galatians 5 opens, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you know me, you know how much I love this, this whole subject of um, Christian liberty. And we're back at it again. I mean, we've done it a couple of times recently, I guess in the last three or four years. But it's back up again. Um, and I didn't, I didn't raise it, um, the text, of course, um, forces it upon us, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to addressing it again. But um, the problem is that we have uh, basically two and a half weeks before we take the Christmas break. We've got tonight, next week, and then Thanksgiving we're off, and then we have a congregational meeting on the 30th. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and so I'm going to use, I'm going to take these two and a half weeks. The half of the week is, I'm talking about is at the congregational meeting. Uh, I'm going to take that, that half in these two weeks to address another subject, not Galatians 5. So that once the New Year start, starts, we can start fresh and clean with Galatians chapter 5. I just don't want to start the subject and then take a month uh, off and uh, then have to come back and remind you of everything I said, you know. So, so I've got something for you um, that I think will be beneficial. I hope it will be. It's something that I've wanted to address because um, I'll tell you that, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute, but um, for the next two and a half weeks, we're not going to look at Galatians 5. Got me? <clears throat> Here's what we're going to look at. Are there degrees of reward in heaven. <laughs> um, most Christians, most of you here, I think would say yes to that question being asked you. And you have your favorite verses to, um, to prove your position. I want to suggest to you that the right answer is not yes. The right answer is no. And um, moreover, I, I think that the whole notion of degrees of reward based on your works, I think the whole thing plays into our spiritual um, illness 
And I think that that notion or doctrine, whatever you'd like to call it, undercuts grace. So I want you to know that my purpose in addressing this is not polemic. It's not, it's not sectarian. My goal is purely pastoral. Because I think that, we'll just call it a doctrine. Um, I think that idea that you think is taught in the New Testament, I think it contributes to our whole spiritual illness. And so I want to address it. Um, but to do that, before I do, let me tell you a story. <clears throat> Several years ago, a staff member here at Gracie Van found an article. Uh, it's really longer than an article. It's more like a, a paper on this whole subject of uh, are there degrees of reward in heaven. And um, so he suggested that we, as a staff, study this paper. You know, the, the staff gets together three Tuesdays a, a month, and we, we, we study things. We study books. We study articles. <clears throat> and about three or four years ago, maybe longer, maybe six years ago, I don't know, but we studied this, this whole subject. Read this article and came in. And um, at our meeting that day, I asked everyone in the room, the whole staff, the whole staff was there. I said, um, how many of you, um, before reading this article, would have said yes to the question, are there degrees of reward in heaven? Every hand went up. They all believed it, or we all believed it. <clears throat> Having read and studied this uh, article, I then asked this question. How many of you believe that now? Not one hand. <laughs> Not one hand. <clears throat> so that's what I want to talk to you about. This notion <clears throat> that... Um, that there are, that I'm going to be rewarded with some kind of everlasting crown because I've been a good boy or girl, or I've done, and, and, and probably all of you can turn to a, a text of scripture and say, well, I'll, I'll tell you why I believe it's right, 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 right there. We're going to discuss it. <clears throat> Guys, this whole discussion has been around quite a while. <clears throat> it was um, it was reignited by this book. Oh, in the late eighties, this is MacArthur's book, "The Gospel According to Jesus." <clears throat> um, but here is what your, or I shouldn't say your. I don't. I really know that. Don't know that it is your. But this here is what that doctrine would have me believe. <clears throat> um, what it says is that I become a Christian entirely apart from my, my, um, my works, my good works. And then it adds, but the degree to which I enjoy heaven 
depends upon how I live out my life. <clears throat> so this is what you're teaching. You're teaching a justification by faith and a sanctification by works. You are asking me to believe that Christians are differentiated in heaven based on their works. That there is in heaven <clears throat> a ranking um, of people. And here's the worst part. That that ranking endures forever. That's what you want me to believe. That I, that I come to Christ, that I become a Christian, completely apart from any contribution that my good behavior might afford me, but in terms of my enjoyment of heaven, it's all based uh, on um, how I live out my Christian life. So there are rewards or degrees of reward that exist in heaven and they last forever. I want you to know that I think that that contributes to our overall spiritual illness. Now, um, um, maybe I should say this first. I want, to, I want to suggest to you that there is no New Testament text that teaches that. Not a one. Not a one. But you're saying, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Just a minute, uh, Dr. Young. I, I, can, I can look up some for you, and I can, I can find some. We're going to try to go over all of them. All of them. <laughs> because ultimately, guys, and this, is what, and this is one of the things that I love about you, <clears throat> you are willing to submit to the Scriptures. Not to me, which you shouldn't, but you're willing to submit to the Scriptures. And I think you think that that notion is taught in this book. But I'm telling you, it's not. So to, um, so to convince you, we've got to go through the text. And um, uh, that will take the rest of this evening. And it'll take most of next evening, next Wednesday. Just going to the texts and seeing if, if indeed that they teach a degree of reward where Christians are differentiated in heaven forever. I'm saying that that doesn't exist in the New Testament, nor does it exist in heaven, okay? <clears throat> now, to start, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to take a look at my second favorite um, <clears throat> parable. My first favorite is, is, of course, the prodigal son. 
But my second favorite parable is in, I don't know what yours it is, but mine is uh, Matthew chapter 20. Now, we're not going to read it, but you know about it. I mean, you know the, you know the story. It's about this um, merchant dude who um, goes to the day laborer location and he hires a group of laborers at 6 a.m. Um, he discovers that he needs some more. He goes back at 9 a.m., gets some more. He finds out that he's still short and he goes at noon. <clears throat> and then he's still short. He goes at 3. And he finally goes at 5 p.m. So some of the workers worked from 6 to 6, 12 hours. Some of the workers worked for one hour. And you know what happens. End of the day, they all line up to get their payment <clears throat> or their, their wages. <clears throat> And uh, the, the uh, merchant landowner guy gives everyone the same amount. <clears throat> what you're being taught in Matthew chapter 20 is that there is a fundamental equality among disciples that they are all rewarded alike. <clears throat> there is no differentiation made based upon the number of hours that were worked. Um, the world's principle is this. Those who work the longest or the best or the hardest, should get more pay than the other guys. Um, <clears throat> that notion is repudiated in this parable. I mean, if you work harder than the other guys, you need to get more. And that's the notion that's found behind this whole idea of degrees of reward in heaven. <clears throat> um, in this parable, in Matthew chapter 20, again, it's verses 1 through 16. We're not going to take the time to read it because we've got some more ground to cover. <clears throat> um, what you find in this parable is that here, merit and ability are set aside so that grace can prevail. Gang, grace is not about earning anything. But according to this notion that I'm saved indeed by no efforts on my own, but my experience in and enjoyment of heaven is based on how hard I worked. And this parable overturns that whole notion. Gang, um, there is no ranking that you see 
that takes place here in this parable. Um, what the landowner gives out. He gives out not based on performance. That's the point. He doesn't give out what he gives out, whatever it is that he gives out, based on some kind of contribution that you may have made because you worked harder than I did. <clears throat> um, guys, the two options that, are, that you're faced with here in this parable is eternal life or eternal death. What everybody is so uncomfortable about when it comes to the participants in this parable is the very thing that, that this notion overturns. That is, God distributes according to grace, not according to performance. Guys, that's the illness that I think is so prevalent among us as believers. This whole idea that I do things with the mindset that part of the reason behind my doing them is that my preacher told me I'm going to get some kind of merit. I'm going to get a, a, a reward. I'm going to have more of those things than you're going to have. And we're going to have um, different experiences in heaven. And the thing that's going to differentiate us is um, my performance. Now, guys, um, I'm saying to you that the only thing that is differentiated in this parable is eternal life and eternal death. Only those things not some kind of ranking in heaven. Now, that's my position. But I also have to address the text that you want to say, well, wait a minute, Dr. Young. I mean, I don't know why. I just saw it the other day. Okay. Now, guys, this might do you some good, I hope, because if I can get you off of this business, we'd all be a whole lot healthier. Spiritually. All right? So here's what I want to do first. I want to address the texts that talk about crowns. Now, <clears throat> here's our notion. That, um, that the really good people, you know, like me, um, get bigger crowns, and we're all thinking... That up in heaven, those crowns are going to get thrown before God. But that I have crowns to throw. And maybe some of you don't. All right, guys. There are several passages that include the word crown. We're not going to look at all of them. But I want to mention six. And then we'll quit tonight. <clears throat> the first one is in 1 Corinthians 9, 
Um, so you might want to turn there. <clears throat> First Corinthians 9. Let me read. It's really in verse 25. And by the way, um, in the uh, ESV, the word wreath is used. In the King James, it's the word crown. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 and 25. Well, I'm not going to read 20. Um, let me read 25 and 26. Uh, and 27. <laughs> Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive. Now, here's where the King James says crown. But we an imperishable crown. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box his beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Gang, here is a text that is not talking about degrees of reward. It is simply talking about eternal life. Um, The issue in this text has to do with perseverance. It's not about gradations. Um... In, in track, um, there is only one crown, but all who finish get the crown. The issue in this text is not about first place and second place. It's about finishing. Because if I don't finish, I'm what? I'm disqualified. The only thing in view in this text is finishing and getting the crown and not finishing and being disqualified. That's all it's here. There's no business about, um, you know, I got to run harder so I can come into second place because I'll be happier than the guy behind me who came in fourth place. None of that. It's just persevere to the end so that you won't be disqualified. That's the only thing that Paul has in mind. Um, The the prize or the crown is eternal life. And only disqualification matters. Not gradations. He's concerned with finishing and not finishing. That's all. Everybody who runs and finishes gets the same prize. If you finish, you get the prize, which is eternal life. What I'm saying, guys, is um, these texts that we're looking at that mentions crowns, it's not talking about degrees of reward, but simply about eternal life. There's one. Here's your second one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to take a look there. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Um, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. Guys, there's the word crown. But uh, Paul identifies what the crown is. The crown in this text is not different quantities of joy. 
He says, you are my joy. The fact that you have come to the saving knowledge and have responded to the gospel in in an appropriate way. But it's not talking about, oh, I'll have a different crown and thus have more joy. Not talking about that. Um, here's the, here's the, this one I really like. This is in 2 Timothy. Verse 4. Um, now guys, you you don't even need me to to understand this. Look at it. Verse 8. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You got, you got to finish reading the text, which says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Guys, everybody who loves his appearing gets the same prize Paul got. And he says that. It's not just to me. But everybody loves his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Are you um, um, ready like so many of us are for Jesus to return? If you are uh, looking forward to his, his return, he has a prize. And it is exactly like mine. And yours is exactly like hers. And hers is exactly like his. And his is exactly like hers because all it's the same price. It's all the, not just to me. Very clear. Not just to me. Um, one more. First Peter. Actually, two more. First Peter. <clears throat> um, verse five. Excuse me, chapter five. Verse four. <clears throat> And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Gang, that's not about some kind of super pious holy life. It is simply a reference to when the the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive eternal life. Now, um, with, with that kind of in mind, I want you to go with me (laughs) to the text that is stuck in the back of your mind about your crowns being tossed. It's in Revelation chapter 4. And let's take a look at it. And with this, we'll quit. Kind of quit. (laughs) Um, All right. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And... um, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are ye, et cetera, et cetera. There it is. That's where you got this notion that, um, you know, all these wonderful rewards that God is going to give you, that you're going to offer them up. All right, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, this is not talking about human beings, or it's talking about the 24 elders. It's talking about angelic beings. It's not even talking about us. 
It's not talking about some kind of uh, raptured Christians. It's talking about angels, the 24 elders. And I want you to know that they all do it. Uh, by the way, maybe I should say it like this. Even if I'm wrong, um, and these are not angels, <clears throat> and you say, oh, I don't agree with that, Ariana. Oh, no, that's talking about, you know, a Christian. Well, if, if I'm wrong, I'm not, but if I am, there's only 24 of them. Now, we got a few more than 24 here tonight, and the rest of you get left out. While the other 24 of us really super saintly people, we get one of those things. But if I'm wrong, and these are not angels, and that they are humans, um, then I'm sorry, but you've made my point for me. Because I want you to notice that um, no one keeps his crown so that he can strut around heaven. Um, if you um, insist that these are humans, then whatever differences there may be on Judgment Day, they are not perpetuated throughout all eternity. And that's what the notion teaches, that I get some more rewards and I have them to enjoy for all eternity, uh, maintaining the gradations and, and differentiations that have been made based on performance. All right, guys. Um, I've got a whole two more pages of the text that we'll have to look at next week, but let me kind of summarize for you. You've been taken advantage of. You've been taken advantage of by some preachers who to give you a motive or to motivate you to live a holy life, they told you that your acts of service and your acts of uh, sacrifice were going to merit you some kind of everlasting reward that's going to differentiate you from the other people who didn't do as well as you did. That, ladies and gentlemen, is to overturn the parable of Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, first of all. But it is to abuse you. It is to tell you. It is to give you a motive that is completely self-serving. Do you see that? I'm going to go out there and hustle because ultimately it's going to mean some kind of prosperity for me. Gang, by no means do I ever want to discourage you from living a holy life. But I am not calling you to live a Christ-like life because you're going to get something back. That, ladies and gentlemen, is justification by faith and sanctification by works. And that if you just work hard enough, God will pay you not two denarii, not one denarius, but two denarii. And I'm telling you, that is to harm you. 
the essence of grace. Is that nothing is earned. The word deserve needs to be expunged from our, from our vocabularies. And yet, guys, I dare say that many of you, maybe all of you, I don't know, many of you walked in here tonight, and when I first posed that question to you, and by the way, the arguments have just begun. Um, but if I, when I posed that question to you, you would say, well, sure, I mean, I've done my, I learned that, and, uh, you know, in sword drills, you know. And, um, and, and it, is, it plays to our whole psychosis, to our whole um, mental, spiritual illness, that it's, it's driving me to perform so that I can get something instead of resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Gang, I want you to love holy life. And um, the more you know of the gospel, the more you know of the beauty of what Christ has done for us, the more our lives will change. But the way that you change people is not promise them some kind of reward. The way you change people is that you change their loves. You don't give them a, a to-do list and then assure them if they accomplish it, they'll be rewarded. And you can enjoy heaven better than Jimmy Young does. No, no, no. That's not the way we motivate the people. of. That's not the way we change the people of God. We change their loves. So how do you do that? You preach the gospel over and over and over and over again. I'll close with this. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says he can't wait to get to, um, <clears throat> to Rome. Um, uh, it's in verse 15. So I can't wait to get him and come see you in Rome. And then he says in verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. <clears throat> now, who's he writing that to? He's writing, them, he's writing the book of Romans to the church at Rome. And he says, I can't wait to get inside that church at Rome and preach the gospel to you. Why, 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 do, why does Paul want to preach the gospel? to people who've already embraced it. Because the more you know of the beauty of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, the more you live like a Christian's supposed to. But for somebody to promise you some kind of extra, you know, based on good behavior, <laughs> has abused you. And I think has contributed to our overall illnesses. So, come back next week, and we'll look at the rest of the text. We just talked about the crown texts tonight. Oh, there's others. Um, um, there's one, um, the least and the greatest. 
You remember those texts? Uh, there's another brand that I... Um, oh, well, come next week. And we got a whole another list of texts to, to look into. And then on the congregational meeting night, I'm going to wrap up my argument for you. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, in my humble opinion, it will set you free. Our Father, I do pray that you will set us all free because as Galatians 5 said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, Might we discover that the one reward you have for us is heaven and being in the presence of our Savior forever. Uh, For those who have um, found the... uh, the discouragements of trying to grind out some kind of newfangled obedience in the hope that they would be rewarded, would you, would you pour this kind of balm into their wounds? The balm of grace. Do that for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen.